Please be seated. In my own humble opinion, there is little in the way that Americans in general celebrate Christmas that is commendable or really even enjoyable. If I could think of it in this way, if you could give me just a few moments to do so. If a travel agent calls you one evening and says, listen, we have a deal for you. We have a fantastic vacation planned. If you will travel with us, we will guarantee you that first of all, you will be deprived of sleep. Secondly, you will overeat and put on weight. Thirdly, you will overspend and feel depressed about it. Then you will have so many things crammed on your calendar and to-do list that you will nearly lose your mind. Then you will suffer twice the normal rate of disagreements with your spouse. Your children will shatter every previously established record for bad behavior. You will be exasperated by your in-laws who will send your blood pressure through the roof. You'll bite your tongue so many times it will need surgery or amputation. And by the time the whole ordeal is over, you'll be ready for a straitjacket. I'm sure you will agree this sounds like a wonderful vacation, and if I could just confirm your home address, and on it goes, right? What a deal. What we would never do in the summer, we invite in December. We say, let us have it. Here we go for another holiday season. Well, I don't think all is lost. As you look at it, there's a lot of things that do not commend themselves about this time of year as Americans in general celebrate this holiday. But there's one thing about our culture's way of celebrating Christmas that I think is commendable, and I'm talking here not as the church, but in general terms. I think it's good that we must wait for Christmas to come. We have to wait to open presents. In our instant service culture, getting Americans to wait is healthy. It's good. As I shepherd my children there is much in this, sh- in this season that I find troubling, and I pray for them. And I ask God to shelter them from all sorts of corruption at this time of year. But as I watch them looking at presents under the tree a few days before Christmas, I see them waiting with expectation. I see them anticipating a future joy. And I can see the value in that. It is a good thing for the human heart to wait. It's a good thing for the human heart to wait for a good thing to happen. The discipline, the patience, the hope, the anticipation are good food for the soul. The Christian church has long recognized the virtues connected with waiting. In fact, liturgically minded churches refer to this season as Advent. Not a word we Uh, talk about a lot around here. It's not necessary, I don't think, but beginning on December 1, Advent is officially marked by Advent Sunday, the first Sunday in December, and it is observed for four Sundays. Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, meaning coming or arrival, and it's especially used of some momentous event. So as the church anticipates, anticipates celebrating Christ's first Advent, The faithful are called to identify with the Old Testament saints and to consciously wait for Christ's second advent, for His second coming. 
Now, the scriptures obviously do not promote a seasonal emphasis on waiting necessarily, but waiting for Messiah to come is a prominent theme that runs through the entire Bible. We are to be a waiting kind of people. We are to live in conscious anticipation of the coming Messiah. Although we live on this side of the cross, we can be greatly encouraged by faithful believers who lived on the other side. And we find one saint in the first narrative of Jesus who was waiting for the coming of Christ. To understand this account, we must realize first that Messiah's coming in his first advent was prophesied for many centuries. There are critics of the Bible who would like you to believe that Jesus was born and then up around him grew these ideas of his divinity and of his greatness and of his uniqueness and kind of legend took off like a snowball down a hill. It's not at all the case with anyone who is fair with the text of Scripture. In the Old Testament context, there is a context throughout of waiting. I think it begins with a cryptic prophecy to the very first family on earth in Genesis 3 and verse 15. God's people were repeatedly prepared to look with expectation for the coming Messiah. Hear me on this. Prophet after prophet ministering to generation after generation, adding detail after detail to the body of revelation concerning this coming Messiah, this coming Deliverer, this Savior. Over the years, Christ's lineage was discussed and prophesied. His parentage, His birthplace, His death, His personality even, were described in the prophecies of the centuries, through the centuries. And as the body of prophecy grew, God's people waited with longing expectation for those prophecies to be fulfilled. One man's account is retold in Luke chapter 2. If you would make your way there in your Bible, Luke chapter 2. As we come to the second half of Luke chapter (coughs) 2, we need to understand that Jesus is not quite six months old. I'm sorry, six weeks old. Joseph and Mary had brought their infant son from Bethlehem to the temple in nearby Jerusalem. Why are they here? Jerusalem, not very far from Bethlehem, but there is a journey here that is a difficult one, and they have come with their newborn son, I think for two reasons that the text would indicate to us, and comparing with Old Testament texts. First of all, they came to consecrate Jesus. To consecrate him to God by ransoming him as a firstborn son. Secondly, they came to offer a burnt offering and a sin offering for Mary. Now, why are they doing that? Let's think of Jesus' ransom just very quickly. On the night, the last night, before God delivered the Jews from slavery in Egypt, a messenger of death killed every firstborn son in Egypt, man and animal. God delivered the firstborn of Israel from this death, you'll remember. And when Israel was thereby freed from Egypt, God called His people to always commemorate this unique deliverance. How were they to do that? They were to do that by always consecrating that firstborn of every womb, man or animal. Firstborn lambs, for instance, were all to be slaughtered as sacrifice. If it was a firstborn donkey, it could be redeemed by offering a lamb in its place. And sons could also be, and obviously were, to be redeemed. 
It was a way of God saying, remember that the firstborn is mine. It drew Israelites' attention back to the deliverance from Egypt, to the salvation of God. So that's why Joseph and Mary are here with their six-week-old child at the temple. But why is Mary here? She's here for purification. Now, the ancient Jews would have understood all of this. It would have been as obvious as a 16-year-old going to get a license and paying. We, we understand that without discussing it. For them, this was all obvious. For us, it misses us a bit. But Mary had observed a period after the birth of Jesus of ceremonial uncleanness and fulfillment of the Mosaic Law. After that, she required, was required to present then a sin offering and a burnt offering to God for her ritual purification following childbirth. So get this picture. This young woman with her baby, attended by her husband, strolling across the courtyards of the vast temple complex, a poor couple, a humble and simple couple it would appear, he a carpenter, she a very young woman, strolling across the temple complex to fulfill their obligations to God. They need to care for the son. They need to care for the mother. At verse 25, then, of Luke chapter 2, Luke introduces a man named Simeon into the narrative. Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Let's think about Simeon for just a moment. We have Joseph, we have Mary, we have the infant Christ, Simeon. We get the idea here, don't we, that he's an aged priest, although we cannot be dogmatic about either his age or his occupation. The text of Scripture does not actually indicate that. But in verse 29, Simeon seems to indicate that having seen the promised Messiah, he's ready to die. Remember who this man is. He's growing up in a nation as a young child hearing the prophecies of the coming Messiah. The ancient prophecies. He is a man growing up in this context. To see the Messiah was the pinnacle of Israel's hope. Of all times in history, this is not the time. This is the time to stick around. This is not the time to check out. Simeon's response seems to make <coughs> most sense if he's nearing death. He's ready to go. He's ready to meet God. He's seen the Messiah. Verse 28 also seems to suggest that he meets Mary and Joseph in fulfillment of his duties as a priest. At any rate, we learn that Simeon was a man who lived waiting for the Christ to come. We note in verse 25, I'd like to focus on that verse, we note first of all his character. Simeon, who was righteous and devout, the text says. That is, he was above reproach. He was a man who characteristically did not violate the law of God. He was devout. That means conscientious in matters of faith and religion. He followed God's ways carefully. In a word, Simeon was a godly man. 
We note then, secondly, his focus. Verse 25, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon's life was marked by anticipation. He was, in the Greek, prosdekamenos. That means one who was always waiting, waiting for the Messiah to come. Every Jew waited for the Messiah to come. What's the difference? What's the point? They all anticipated Messiah. But we have to remember this, that most of the Jews, particularly at this moment in time, looked very much for a Messiah that would come to deliver them from roles from Rome's rule. They did not want to be under Rome's rule. These evil, this evil, these evil people, these bands, they wanted to break. They wanted to be free to run their own show. But there were devout people in the land who were referred to in the literature of the day as the quiet in the land. They were people who longed simply and peacefully for the Messiah to come. They were not concerned so much about the political ramifications, about military freedom. They were looking simply for a person. For the Messiah of the Old Testament prophecies, they wanted that person to come. Simeon seems to identify with those people, the quiet in the land. Simeon waited for Christ. He waited, it says here in verse 25, for the consolation of Israel. You'll notice here, at least in this translation, we have it in small uh, letters, consolation, a small c. And I think in some ways that is appropriate, though it could certainly be capitalized. It was a common phrase, though, in that day, referring to everything that had to do with the messianic hope. Not only Jesus himself, not only the Messiah, but everything that had to do with his reign being established on earth. The consolation of Israel. A traditional Jewish prayer put it this way, may I see the consolation of Israel. Every Israelite really hoped to some degree in some way for the coming of Messiah. That consolation, that comfort for Israel was the Messiah and was his rule on earth. And when Simeon at last saw the consolation, what does he do? He praises God, verse 28. Have you ever had the flu and felt so sick that you wish to die? I think maybe Simeon here in verse 29 says <coughs> something like, I'm so happy I wish to die. I'm so happy I'm ready to see God. I've seen all that I need to see. My journey is complete. My life is full. I'm ready to go home to meet the Creator. We see his character. Just to finish out uh, the idea here, I want to come back and focus on the second point, but to finish out the idea, we see his character a godly man. We see his focus centered on the coming of Messiah. We see thirdly, I think his zeal. He was anointed by the Spirit of God. The end of verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. As one has noted, it's very fitting that the Comforter, the Counselor, the Spirit of God would rest upon one who waited for the consolation. I don't think we should see here some mystical, eerie thing going on in Simeon's life. Simply put, the Spirit of God rested upon Simeon so that he was led by God in his daily walk, verse 26, and so that he exuded the joy and goodness of God in his life. Verses 29 through 32, his prayer here, his praise to God. These are words, that, I don't think that they just hit him like a lightning bolt from the sky, and he said things that he never had thought about before. I think this is probably the prayers of a man, the praise of a man that were very characteristic of his life. The Spirit of God rested upon him. 
to take some of the eeriness and the mystery of that phrase out of it, I think we could say it this way, his human spirit was inflamed by the divine spirit. Your spirit gets inflamed by things from time to time. It might be inflamed by anger, by bitterness, by frustration, by happiness, by excitement. Simeon's spirit was inflamed by God. And I think that all goes together very naturally, doesn't it? Think about these three ideas. Find any spirit-filled, godly Christian and you will find a person who consciously awaits with quiet anticipation the coming of Christ. You will find in that believer that the disciplined, patient endurance, that the hopeful anticipation has left its mark on that person's character. This was Simeon. And I ask as we consider his life, is it you? Is it me? Are we among the waiting watchers? Old Testament, pre-Christ, God had promised His people that Messiah would come. And generations waited. Millennia passed. And all along the line were people of faith, people of God, waiting and watching and anticipating and hoping for that day. They longed for Messiah. They fixed their eyes on the Christ and the hope of His advent. And the vast majority died never having seen the realization of their dreams in this life, not until death, until God took them into His presence. Think of that line of people that stand behind us, those many generations. Are we of kindred spirit with them? Are we as a church, a church of genuine watchers? Like Simeon, we too have received a word from God that Jesus the Messiah will come again. Now we find here in verse 26 that Simeon's revelation to this end was very unique concerning him. It's revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We may not have such a revelation. But we have a very specific word of God that Messiah is going to come again. And the vast majority certainly have already died who have anticipated that hope. But like Simeon, we've received a word. He came once, Jesus. He came once and glad spirit-filled hearts received Him with rejoicing because they had really been waiting. Their anticipation was authentic and it was keen. Is there a sense of advent in your spirit? I've asked this as I've thought of Simeon this week. Is there a sense of advent in your spirit, of His coming, of anticipation? The Bible says this will never happen. But hypothetically, if I could think through it with you, if I could seek to challenge your heart, I know this will never happen. This is not true. This is just a hypothetical. <laughs> but suppose a messenger came to your door this season and announced that Jesus was here. He'd come, you don't see him, but he's here and he would like to meet with you. In the frenetic pace of our lives, coupled with the focus on temporal issues and things, I imagine we might be tempted to say, Jesus is here? Great. Good. Okay, here, just let me finish up a few things first. 
I, I, I really want to get with him, but I, let him know I'm really glad he's in town. And by the way, does he have a number where I can leave a message? Maybe we could get together in January. A lot going on right now. But I, is that a person who's anticipating, who's waiting, who's watching for Christ to come? I imagine some saying, oh yeah, I remember now. God did say Jesus would come back, but it, it always seemed just like a fairy tale to me. And I, I, I guess I kind of shrugged it off. I'm, not, I'm really glad he's here. I'm not quite ready for him, but I'm really glad he's here. Hey, that's, that's great. Thank you for the message. Certainly some might even respond with shame or disbelief or fear. How would you respond? I know that's a hypothetical. Jesus told us when he comes, no one will not know it. It will be evident to the believers. But if that happened, how would you respond? When news that Jesus had come reached the shepherds, how did they respond? They ran to town to find him. The sinful woman of Luke 7, when the news that Jesus had come reached her ears, she found him in a Pharisee's house. She washed his feet with her tears. She dried them with her hair. She anointed them with perfume. That's somebody who lived in anticipation and love. I'm talking about people who were here when Jesus was here. Think about Mary. When Mary heard that the Lord had come, she dropped everything and she ran to meet Him and she fell at His feet. Or think about Peter. When he realized that it was Jesus on the shore, what did he do? He jumped out of the boat and swam to the shore. And Simeon here takes the Messiah in his arms and he worships. He praises God. This same Jesus said the angels to the apostles after Jesus' ascension, this same Jesus will come back in the same way you have seen Him go into heaven. Acts 1.11 Christian, that says to us on this side of the cross that He is coming. The Jesus that you love, the Jesus who lived a sinless life, the Jesus who saved you, the Jesus who took your sin and died on the cross in your behalf, this same Jesus is coming again. Are you consciously awaiting His second advent? Does it all seem like a fantasy to you? Or is your faith alive? We might test it this way. Do you want to see Him? Is there a growing longing in your heart to see Jesus Christ. Do you ever think about what it will be like to see Him? Ever think about how you might feel or what you would like to say to Him? Those thoughts never course through your mind. It's difficult for me to understand that you're really anticipating and waiting and longing and hoping for His coming. Have you ever fasted for his return? Remember what Jesus said during his earthly ministry in Mark chapter 2? How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as he is with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. You know, in other words, in that day, 
in that time period. There will be such a longing for Jesus to come that people will set aside food even to think about his coming. God help us to see through the fog of the temporal. To see through the fog of the temporal. To see past the dulling materialism and gluttony of this season. And to genuinely wait with intense anticipation and patient hope for our Jesus to come again. Oh, I know that the world will laugh. People will say it's just a fairy tale. But let's go back to the reality of the Old Testament prophecies and see from generation to generation God's people hearing the revelation of God that He would come. And let's put ourselves in that line, not simply in the context of the critics of our day, and realize that there are similar promises from God that He will come back. And may we, like Simeon of old, take on the character of people whose faces have been ennobled and whose souls have been deepened by the fervent and purifying hope that Jesus is coming again. Is there a light on in your heart waiting for Him? Is there an anticipation that's changing you from the inside to see past the fog of this world and to see the reality that God has promised the coming Christ? Is it there? Does it just seem like a dream? Does it seem so remote? Or are you one who is actively anticipating the second advent, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? He will come. Of that there is no doubt. The question is, will he find us watching? Let's bow for prayer. God, I pray that you would fan into flame the anticipation. Not a fanatical anticipation that hurts others in its cause. Not a foolish anticipation that begins to predict dates and do ridiculous things. Not a manipulative anticipation that seeks to force your hand. But a patient, enduring grace-filled, peace-filled hope in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, will you put that in the heart and in the soul of our assembly? Will you put it in the heart of your people? Will you put it in my heart? That we would learn to look with anticipation and with patient endurance. That there would be a longing in our souls for the coming of Jesus. God, we will need, like Simeon of old, to be godly, to be spirit-led. God, we realize that this is not something we can merely just twist up our courage and accomplish humanly what only you can accomplish, but that is why I plead with you in prayer before your assembly in their behalf and my own I plead that you who have begun a good work will carry it to fulfillment. 
that you will cause us to will and to do of your good pleasure and that you will help us to look at the things of this life, at the time that we have, at the attention that we give to things, at how we live our lives with a fervent expectation of the return of our Savior. God, help us to see clear in this day, in this season uniquely, a season of Advent, a season of waiting expectation, and God, we fill it so full with small expectations. Help us, dear Father, to see the truth and to act upon it. Lord, there's welling up within our hearts a desire, a desire to see the Lord. God, there may be some among us who have no such desire. In their soul, there is no heart attitude for you. There is no idea that it would even be good to see Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will bring any such one into a place beginning today where they might begin to see what Jesus Christ has done, who he is, and the offer that he makes of salvation. And I pray that you would illumine the eyes people to come and to trust and to accept your word and to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Be doing this work among us even here in our assembly today. We ask, we pray, and I ask God that you will again enliven the heart of everyone who comes to this saving knowledge or those who are already there. That the song in our heart as we would leave would be, Come, long expected Jesus. Come again, quickly, we pray. Amen.